Hey guys, this is Corey, and you are listening to the Bible Built Heathen Podcast. Here we discuss everything Bible and some of the oddities that come from the fundamentalist center of Christianity, known as the Bible Belt. Repentance! And awakened in hell! Falling headlong into hell fire! Don't mess with the King James Bible! Within a hundred years, a great majority of people in this building will possibly be in hell. For the devil and his angel. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seen. From the very beginning of recordable history, there has always been a curiosity or fascination or even a fear about what happens when we as human beings cease to be alive. Death has always been one of those topics that has been written about by every civilization. There are entire epics and books and poems trying to make sense of universal questions such as, is there something else? Do we just cease to exist? Do we meet our God? Does our soul float to heaven? Does it float down to hell? Do we even have a soul? Are we going to be judged? Is it eternal bliss or is it some kind of eternal torment? These questions have plagued humanity since the beginning. Every empire or great civilization seems to have some kind of answer for these questions. And the Bible is no different. But what will shock a lot of people, especially from the Bible Belt, who has a very certain belief, is that there is not a single unified view of the afterlife. There is a development of thought through the Old Testament into the New, and then even throughout the New Testament. And these authors are working out these questions for themselves. And a large handful of people assumed that from beginning to end, there's only one view, an eternity in heaven for the righteous, or an eternity in hell for everyone else. But it's not quite that simple. So in this series, we're going to look at that development of the afterlife within the Bible, along with some other literature outside the Bible of around the same time that will help us to orient the Bible within its cultural context, to help us understand what the biblical authors are trying to get at. So I'm really excited. Let's get started. First things first, there are a couple of resources that I found uh, that were extremely helpful, Um, and I'll have these listed in the show notes with affiliate links um, if you want to contribute to my book addictions, but the first book is actually by Bart Ehrman, and it's called Heaven and Hell, and don't let the fact that he's at best agnostic scare you away. He is a, a historian, and he's a very good one at that. And I would definitely recommend it. Uh, The second is called Life After Death by Alan F. Siegel. And this is a large academic volume. So it's going to be a very long read if you read it from cover to cover. The third, a little more accessible, is John H. Walton's book, Ancient Near Easter Thought and the Old Testament. This is kind of an introduction just to um, the thinking of the ancient Near East. Uh, in the Old Testament, just kind of situates you. There's not a huge section on at the afterlife or death, but there is a small section that's really helpful just as an introduction. Um, like I mentioned earlier, Siegel is definitely going to be more academic, 
and the other two are pretty accessible. If I had to pick one, I'd definitely probably pick Bart Ehrman's book. But again, just read past his biases. Uh, he's a great historian, and he's a great writer, and it's extremely helpful. So next thing, a couple words of caution before we continue. Um, for those who will do their own homework, um, there's no straight line from one belief to another in this development. Uh, so it's not linear. So there will always be exceptions. Even within Judaism and the ancient Near East, there was not one single belief of the afterlife. There were different groups, different sects, and they had different beliefs at any given time. So it makes it quite a bit more complex. So for this study, I have tried to wade through this mountain of information to find what I believe to be the most pertinent uh, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and this is not all-encompassing. And that was my CYA, because someone will inevitably say, what about this writing, or what about that writing? Well, there are always exceptions. So, uh, moving on. Let's just start by looking at a couple of examples outside the Bible, just to kind of get ourselves oriented with the culture. And these examples are a couple of the oldest we actually have on record. And the first one is the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the Babylonian version. It has a, um, a flood narrative. And the general consensus is uh, the oldest versions of the story date back to the 3rd millennium B.C., so just for reference, uh, the biblical flood story dates most likely to the second millennium BC. So the Epic of Gilgamesh is more than likely older by a full millennium. So just keep that in the back of your mind. But these stories, they were written on 12 clay tablets, and they were written in Akkadian. And there are two main characters. One is Gilgamesh, and the other his friend Enkidu. And both are kind of like ancient superheroes in the sense. And these superheroes, they, they fight each other and they eventually become really close friends. And the two characters are actually really powerful and strong and they anger the gods and the gods decide that one of them must die. And Enkidu just happens to be the unlucky, unlucky victim and right before he dies, he has a dream of the afterlife. And it's really interesting in regards to our studies. But this is what he says. This is from Tablet 7. He says, he seized me. And he's talking about a dark figure um, dragging him down. Um, he seized me. Drive me down to the dark house, dwelling of, er of Ercala's God, to the house which those who enter cannot leave, on the road where traveling is one way only to the house where those who stay are deprived of light, where dust is their food and clay their bread. They are clothed like birds and feathers, with feathers, and they see no light and they dwell in darkness. So you can see this picture of the afterlife in, in this Babylonian story. And it's no matter who you are, you're a king or a hero, Everyone experiences the same fate. It's a life of darkness and eating dust or clay. And what a depressing story, really. It's, it's definitely a little different than the modern view of eternal bliss in heavens that we see uh, very popularly in this modern culture. 
But notice a couple of things that are important for us in this little story, or in this little dream that Enkidu has. There's no judgment. There's no torment. There's no eternal bliss in heaven. There's only darkness and dust. And everyone goes to the same place. Wherever it is, really the only clue we have is that it is down, as opposed to the heavens, which is where some, but not all, the gods reside. So, if you think about it, this place sounds a lot like what an actual grave would be like. Right? It's dark, it's full of dirt and dust, and you lay there forever. It's, it's an extremely gloomy existence of the afterlife. It's Like I said earlier, it's really depressing. But the, the entire story, uh, the moral of the entire story, is that death comes for everyone without regard for who you are. And the only characters that really benefit are the gods who are immortal. You know, and death is scary, and it's just flat out a mystery. All right, that's the moral of the whole story. So from the same tablet, we get another interesting point to consider. Um, this is right before Enkidu dies, and we get this little speech here. And this is what it says. Enkidu was lying sick in front of Gilgamesh, his tears flowing like canals. He... Gilgamesh, said, Old brother, dear brother, why are they absolving me instead of my brother? Then Enkidu said, So now must one become a ghost to sit with the ghosts of the dead to see my dear brother nevermore? So notice the word ghost here. So when we think of the word ghost, we think of horror movie. You know, this floating, bodiless entity that's out haunting people. Or we might be tempted to equate it to something like the soul in the modern mind. Well, we have to be really careful here. The idea of an immortal soul that we have in this modern culture actually comes from Plato, which is more than two millennia later than these stories. And we just need to be really careful that we're not putting this later Platonic philosophy onto the text. And the text doesn't give us a whole lot of detail on this ghost, which the term ghost is Akkadian for etimu. It, it, it's very vague. It just says ghost. It just says etimu. So there's another famous story that gives us a little more information. It's another Babylonian uh, creation account known as the Atrahasis Epic. And this is from the 18th century BCE. Um, we see this idea of ghost pop up again. And this is what it says. It says, this is, the, this is the part where it's the creation of man, right? This is a creation account of the world and man. And it says, On the first, seventh, and fifteenth of the month, he made a purification by washing. Ilawela, who is a god, who had intelligence, they slaughtered in their assembly. So the other gods slaughtered this god, Ilawela. Nintu mixed clay with his flesh and blood. And they heard the drumbeat forever after. A ghost came into existence from the god's flesh, and she, Nintu, proclaimed it as his living sign. The ghost existed so as not to forget the slain god. So again, this is a creation of mankind. They are making man out of clay, the flesh and blood of this other god, and then this this thing or this 
uh, entity known as a ghost or an etimu. So, and there's some wordplay here. We we read that little section that said ilawela, who had intelligence. Well, the Akkadian word for intelligence is temu. So, and in this story, a god who has temu gives e temu or ghost. He gives ghost. So in here, the concept of ghost, or etimu, is not some immortal soul, but it's rather some kind of energizing life force that comes from this god who has temu, or intelligence, and that makes the clay and the flesh and blood alive. So take note of this, because this is really important when we talk about Genesis 2 later. But in summary... Here's a quote from Alan Siegel's book, uh, Life After Death. He says, But humanity has etimu, or ghost, that lives after death and resides in the underworld in a very bleak, depressing existence while the body stays on earth. So the big question that I'm sure some people are wondering, why should we care? Why should we pay attention to these Babylonian stories? Well, keep in mind that Babylon played a very big role in the Old Testament narrative. So much so that a large portion of the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, is dedicated to the exile of Israel to Babylon and just conveying how terrible they are and their struggles uh, from their exile. And remember, Babylon's traditions almost certainly existed before the biblical stories. So now we can't be certain how much that affected the thinking of the biblical authors, but there are some definite similarities and some important differences between each culture's stories. And there's definitely some polemics against Babylon in the stories. And Babylon even shows up very early on in the biblical narrative and genealogies. They share flood stories. There's certain aspects of the creation accounts that are strikingly similar. Take a minute just to think about every superhero movie that we have today. They all share a similar structure or they share certain motifs and there's you know there's always the struggling hero who has a rough past and he has to overcome ad, uh, adversities and a lot of times if with it's with the help of a uh, sidekick or some love interest or something like that and they are all different in important ways but all of these movies or books or whatever it might be they all share these certain cultural motifs so we should certainly expect that the biblical stories do the same. They have their similarities in these motifs, but they are different in very important ways. And the biggest issue we have actually with the Bible is that the Bible does not say a whole lot about life after death. It may come as kind of a shock, but there's a few places where we get some vague descriptions or some vague words 
um, certain key terms, but there's not a whole lot of detail. It's not till later on in the story, like around Daniel, where we have a more developed view of the afterlife, something that's relatively similar to what we think of now, but there's still a lot of differences. So for now, let's just take a couple of examples from the Old Testament to see some of these similarities that I'm talking about. And again, this is not all-encompassing. It's just a few examples to get us started. There will be more later. So we're going to start with Ecclesiastes, actually. Um, it's a very depressing book. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 18 through 22. And this is what it says. He says, I also thought to myself, it is for the sake of people, so God can clearly show them that they are like animals. For the fate of humans and the fate of animals are the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Both have the same breath, or ruach. And there is no advantage for humans over animals, for both are fleeting. Both go to the same place. Both come from the dust, and to the dust both return. Who really knows if the human spirit ascends upward and the animal spirit descends into the earth? So I perceived there is nothing better than for people to enjoy their work, because that is their reward. For who can show them what the future holds? So it's pretty depressing. And then later on in chapter 12, verses 5 through 7, we get this little statement. Because man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about in the streets, before the silver cord is removed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the well, or the water wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the life's breath returns to God who gave it. So notice some key points here. Uh, the speaker, known as Koheleth, is saying how pointless life is, and how everything that we do is just vanity pointless and whether you're an animal or a human both come from the dust and to the dust they return uh, he has no idea if our ruach or breath ascends upwards to the gods or downward to the underworld there are no differences between us and animals so and then in chapter 12 we get this really interesting reference to his eternal home so this is an idiom for the grave, which literally means house of his eternity. And this should immediately throw some flags and remind you of the story of Enkidu's death, where he says that there's a house that nobody returns from, and you're just sitting there for all eternity eating dust. Right? There's, some, there's some pretty good similarities here. And then we get this idea of the life's breath returning to God. And it's this energizing life force that returns to God after we die. So this also echoes the etimu, or the ghost. So take note on that. And this is, this is another view of just a very bleak, depressing existence after death. You know, you just you return to this house or this eternal home and your body just lays in the dirt. Again, notice there's no judgment, eternal bliss. There's nothing. It's just nothingness. And, and, and the author is pointing out just how, 
how pointless and how vain life can be. You really get this sense of despair that we kind of saw in Enkido's speech, where he says there's no light, it's just darkness, and you're just you're just sitting there for all eternity. So so it's really not at all what we're used to when we think of dying and the afterlife. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2 now. And this is honestly my favorite parts of the entire Bible. Uh, the depth of these stories really are life-changing if you're willing to spend the time just studying and sitting with the text. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 it says, The Lord God formed man from the soil of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So pay really careful attention here. Man is made of two things, dirt and breath, or ruach. This is just like the stories from Babylon, but there are some very important differences that we need to take account of. So in the biblical account, there is no flesh from a dead God. There is no death of this God to make humans. It is only one God, and he creates humans from the dirt, and it is by his breath, or his ruach, that energizes or gives life to humanity. So you can see some of the early beliefs of the creation of man and the afterlife really echoed in the biblical accounts from the surrounding cultures. We see similarities in this bleak existence of an afterlife. We see similarities of the Etimu and the Ruach, or the ghost and the breath, and how it energizes a human life. We also see that humans are both made of clay and dirt, so there are some definite similarities, and that should not scare us because the biblical authors are using certain motifs from their surrounding culture that would allow everyone to understand what the authors are talking about. So part of communicating is you know, making things accessible so the people around you can understand. So if, if you've ever talked to someone who, and I actually really struggle with this, who just, who just continues to talk and use words you have no idea what they're saying and I catch myself doing this because I'm an engineer and I'll just go off and nerd out on some you know electrical technical terms and people just kind of look at me with this blank face you know I'm not communicating well so in order to communicate I have to make things accessible right and that's what the authors are doing they're using certain motifs from the culture that everyone should understand but they are also making important distinctions to correct the surrounding cultures. So we don't see this dichotomy of heaven and hell yet that we're so accustomed to thinking here, especially in the Bible Belt. That is a, that is a big thing. And where we're going with this is that the, this concept that we have of heaven and hell, it's not as clear cut as we make it. And we have actually taken traditions from later Christian writings that's not even in the Bible to have this view of heaven and hell. And I would say a vast majority of people sitting in the pew on Sundays don't know this. 
and the church has really just stuck their head in the ground and they've regurgitated the same information. And it's really unfortunate because they are missing out on the beauty and complexities of Scripture. It just makes it that much more amazing. So that's my soapbox for the day. And we will continue on with Scripture's view and development of the afterlife. It is incredibly eye-opening. Thanks for listening to the Bible Belt Heathen Podcast. If you enjoyed the content, don't forget to like and subscribe.